Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in the book of Acts, and so if you have a Bible with you, we'd encourage you to turn to the book of Acts. This is our study right now. We're in the book of Acts. We're just going verse by verse through it, and it took us eight weeks to get through two chapters in the book of Acts. So I will let you do the math. Uh, Today we'll go through the entire third chapter, though, in one sermon. So buckle up. It's 20-something verses. We will get through all of it before we're done today. Uh, Acts 1 and 2 really sets us up for the remainder of the book of Acts. Remember early on in Acts 1, the disciples that had been with Jesus after the resurrection, they came to him and they said these words, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Understand, they had been following Jesus for several years and now he had lived, he had died, he had been buried And now they're living in these moments just after the resurrection. And so just after the resurrection of Jesus, where he has conquered now death, he's conquered the grave, they're asking this question, is it time, Lord, for us to restore the kingdom to Israel? Rome has been here long enough. Is it time for us to evacuate them? And so in verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Now let's pause there. It's not the power they think they're going to get, right? They were looking for the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. They were looking for an earthly power, a power over their enemies, a power of influence, a power of a stature above their fellow citizens, perhaps. But Jesus promised a different kind of power. He said, you'll receive power when, not the kingdom, but the Holy Spirit has come. And you'll be my witnesses. Uh, Let's say these last words, these last places together, ready, begin. In Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So think about those three phrases, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What ends up happening in the book of Acts is that is the outline for the entire book. The first six or seven chapters really covers uh, the church starting, and it focuses on Jerusalem, as verse 8 says. We see the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We see the beginning of the church, and lots of people are coming to Jesus. Uh, They're being baptized. We, We see a strong focus on Peter in these first six or seven chapters. And then in chapters 8 through 12, we see the church scattering. There is this period where because of the signs and wonders, because of the preaching of the gospel, there now comes persecution. And with that persecution, the church ends up scattering, fulfilling, verse 8, going from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria. And then in the last half of the book, we see the church being sent. They end up going on all these missionary journeys. We see characters like Barnabas and Barnabas and Paul. We see Timothy joining Paul and Silas. We see the missionary journeys happening. So this is really the outline. And so when we see Luke's writings, this is a record of the church of God exploding on the scene. Now the promise of Jesus' church being built is answered and fulfilled in the book of Acts. Uh, the, The Holy Spirit's presence, that promise is fulfilled. And so today is entitled, So It Begins. 
we see beginning in Acts 3, the beginning of, of kind of a cycle we see for a few chapters. And this is the cycle. The first thing that happens there is there's signs and wonders. There's a miracle that happens. And Acts chapter 3 is an amazing miracle. We'll walk through it together. Uh, there's signs and wonders. And then there's preaching. It's interesting, every time there were signs and wonders, the apostles and the, uh, Peter, they didn't let that stand on its own. In fact, they took this opportunity when there were signs and wonders, and people were amazed and they were filled with wonder. There's the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter preaches the truth without restraint. We will see that again. So there's signs and wonders, there's preaching, and then as a result, result of that, there's persecution. We'll see that over the next few chapters. So in Acts chapter uh, 3 is where we are today. Uh, there is this, um, there's this persecution that will settle in by Acts chapter 4. And kind, you have to kind of think about what's happening here. There, the number of followers of Jesus Christ are exploding on the scene. Uh, last week we saw 3,000 people come to Jesus in the end of Acts chapter 2. By the time we get to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, there's 5,000. Uh, we're talking about a huge movement. And so this movement was a threat to the status quo. The Jewish elite didn't like this. They were uh, losing members of their culture. Uh, these early Christians called this new faith the way of Jesus. And so these early numbers grew in such a fervor that the Jewish culture and the Jew Jewish elite's status quo was at uh, risk and the Roman occupation who was controlling Jewish uh, didn't like this at all either and so we see this uh, series of events where there's signs and wonders there's preaching and then there's persecution because of the growing number of followers of Jesus Christ now in your notes there uh, we've talked about the purpose of the book of Acts we see it really take shape today Acts tells us how God directs the expansion of his kingdom throughout the world through a spirit-empowered church. So what does a spirit-empowered church look like? We're about to see. So this is what we're going to do for Acts chapter 3. We're going to read through the whole chapter, and I'm going to give you information throughout it, and then at the end we'll give you some quick observations, and I promise they will be quick. Well, I promise they'll be observations. Let's do that. <laughs> Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Let's get started. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, Peter and John, when we see these names, we understand that we're talking, about, um, we're talking about two individuals that were very close. They were friends. They were, uh, they were friends even before Jesus came on the scene. They were friends together. They were uh, fishermen together. Uh, Peter's brother was who? Anybody remember? Andrew. And John's brother was? Our, yeah, James. So Peter and John were close. Um, if you read through the Gospels, it really appears like uh, both Peter and John, their fathers actually worked together in the business, and so they, uh, they worked together. And the Bible says that Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. They did these things together. It's very interesting, their relationship. There's many uh, occurrences in the gospel where these two gentlemen are together. We see them together at uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. We remember when you uh, when they were together, they uh, they were there with Jesus, and Jesus summoned both Elijah and uh, 
and Moses down there in the Mount of Transfiguration. They experienced that together. Uh, they were together at the raising of Jairus' daughter when they were uh, when 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 uh, Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. They were together in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were together when they prepped the Passover meal. There was all these different instances where Peter and John were together even before they met Jesus. They were called together, and now they're serving together. It says here they went to the temple at the hour of prayer. Now when we see this word to the temple, uh, we might just translate that in our mind that, well, they went to church, right? They went to church. And I want to show you some pictures of uh, some, some drawings that have been done on what the temple looked like. We're talking about a massive edifice. We're talking about something that uh, some historians believe would have taken up uh, 40 football fields. You think about the sheer size of this temple. We're talking about a temple that was pretty loud when you entered it. You think about all the things that might have happened in the temple. We're talking about money exchanging hands. Uh, this was the financial center for the Jewish culture. We, uh, we also see that uh, there would be uh, animals of different kinds. There would be bulls and goats and pigeons and all types of animals, the animals were there inside the temple because why? They were going to sacrifice. So the money changers were there in order to exchange the money for different sacrifices. Um, I'm just assuming that when, um, when they took care of the animals and prepared them for sacrifice, let's say, it wasn't the quietest thing in the world. It was loud. Uh, there was a lot of people there. There was a lot of different activity happening. And so when they entered into the temple, I want you to picture this grand stage that, for what it likely is. Uh, they went to the temple uh, together, the Bible says, at uh, the ninth hour, right? This was the hour of prayer. Uh, some of your translations will translate that for you. That's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They didn't have Apple Watches to notify them. They just, that was the hour. That was the time of day where something like this would happen. So they go to the temple together, and as they do, we see the scene unfold. Uh, we see in verse number 2, a man lame from birth was being carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now the gate beautiful, this is a, a, a current day picture of the gate beautiful was 45 feet high and overlaid with Corinthian bronze. It was uh, used to build the gate beautiful was single stones that were 40 feet wide. If you look Closer at the bottom, you can see those stones that were 40 feet wide, cut to order from a quarry miles away uh, with no machinery, and that would be specifically used for this edifice. According to the Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, custom, anyone with severe physical impairments couldn't enter the temple. So think about that. Anyone with severe physical impairments couldn't enter the temple. They weren't allowed to enter and worship. They weren't allowed to enter and purchase a sacrifice, let alone offer a sacrifice. They were reduced to sitting on the outside of the temple as those well enough and healthy enough would go by. They were reduced to sitting on the outside waiting for people to simply ask alms of them. 
Friends and family would help them and bring them to the gate so that they could earn something for themselves. People would enter the temple, and as they would, it would be customary to simply give to the beggars on the outside. They were not included. They were left on the outside to ask alms for the poor. Alms is an old word used for money, food, or other kind of charity for people living in poverty. What an amazing paradox we have here. On one side of the gate beautiful was entry to the temple. You would enter and behold the beauty of the temple, the pure excess of the temple. The opportunity to exchange money and purchase a sacrifice was on the other side of the temple. The opportunity to worship was on the other side of this gate. All of those opportunities stood on the other side. And then on just this side of the gate was those who were sick, those who were cast aside those who were forgotten, those who were ignored or reduced to beg for their basic necessities. Now, we are perhaps conditioned to be skeptical skeptical about someone who's begging for food. After all, we don't know what they're going to use the money for, right? James says it this way, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go and warm, or go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, James says this, what good is that? This is a good reminder that we're called to be generous without evaluating the worth of the recipient. The Bible speaks about caring for the poor, And in it, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the fugitive, the alien, the sojourner, over 2,000 times in Scripture. And the word gospel is mentioned about 100 times, and one author says this, it's impossible to preach a biblical gospel without a concern for the poor. We see the scene unfold here in verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. We'll find out later in Acts chapter 4, the story continues next week in Acts 4, that this man is 40 years old. The, uh, The lifespan of someone begging in the Middle East in the first century was about 30 years old. So this is someone who had lived past his average lifespan for the area. He's been here at the Gate Beautiful, no doubt, for years and years and years. And at this point, Peter and John are likely well-known characters. They're well-known public figures. The lame man sees these two have been performing signs and wonders. He recognizes them, these who have developed a following. And like he does with anyone else who passes by, he simply asks to receive something from them. Verse 4, we continue, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. It's a beautiful phrase here. Peter directed his gaze. So more than a glance, more than just looking, there was direct eye contact. In fact, Peter made sure to stop and to recognize this individual. He gave this man attention and provided him some self-worth perhaps in that moment. Peter didn't ignore him, didn't take his presence for granted, didn't throw him a few coins as he walked by without making eye contact. He looked at him, he listened to him, and he responded. Verse 5 says this, he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. 
And Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Hallelujah indeed. When I was a kid, we learned this story as a song. So if you know it, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the rest of the song goes like this. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I mean, you've never heard that. Oh, I'm sorry that you did. <laughs> My apologies. Verse 7, he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. Imagine his, his feet and ankles have never been able to carry weight. Forty years old, so who knows how long he's been at this gate. And the Bible, Bible is, uh, is very clear. He says he went walking and then leaping. This is the same word for leaping. I did a cross study. It's the same word for leaping that they would use to describe a gazelle leaping. So walking and leaping and praising God. Look at verse 8 again. Do you see where this happened? Could you imagine the scene of this lame man who's 40 years old who has been laying at the gate beautiful years and years and years and years and no doubt he has seen people come by. No doubt he has seen other followers of Jesus come by. No doubt he has seen the animals being brought in. And every day he just asks alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And then this day he sees Peter and John. And maybe there's a part of them that says, well, they're probably the same. They're probably just like anyone else. But they have been collecting money, and maybe this is a good opportunity for me. So I'll ask alms of Peter and John. And Peter and John, Peter stops. Everyone else is walking by, perhaps, and, and maybe dropping a coin on their way out. And, and maybe it's like we treat the, um, we treat like, um, the person ringing the, the bell at Christmas time for uh, Salvation Army. And, and uh, some of you, if you're like me and you're going out in public, the last thing you want to do is make eye contact with someone because then you have to stop and talk to them. And you just want to get done with your errands. And maybe it's like that and, and people are dropping alms for him. And yet Peter stops. The Bible says this. He directed his gaze towards him. And he gave him worth in that moment. And he stopped what was on his schedule. The hour of prayer. A worthy thing to do. It wasn't like he was going just taking a walk. There was somewhere he had to go that had some importance. But in that moment when he stopped and he recognized this man and he looked in his eyes, he said, there are things on my day that are important, but right now you are important. And he directed his eyes. And the man Looked to him as if he was going to receive something. Boy, was he going to receive something. 
he went leaping and he stood up and began to walk. And then look at verse 8. Entered the temple with them. Still walking and leaping and praising God. He was no longer with his crutches, no longer at the gate. And inside, so you got to picture the scene inside the temple and there's bulls and goats and there's pigeons and there's money changers on one side and perhaps on the other end you would go to make your sacrifice. And as he's going, this 40-year man has never been able to enter the temple. He's never been able to worship. He's never been able to purchase a sacrifice. He's never been able to offer one because they would not let him in the temple. And now for the first time he's walking in recognizing my goodness I have the opportunity to worship my savior worship Jesus and now I get to enter and so when he entered in he didn't straighten up good morning how are you good morning how are you no he went walking and leaping like a gazelle praising God I wonder if I gave you three seconds to just praise God right now, could we do it? Could we hoot and holler for three seconds? Uh, so here's the thing. We've got to prepare ourselves, right? I want you to think about something worth cheering for that God has done in your life. I want you to think about the re- relationships restored in your life that's worth cheering about. I want you to think about uh, the way God has intervened in your life and has brought friendships and relationships and church family in your life. I want you to think about the prayers that he's answered this week. I want you to think about the housing he's provided, the career he has provided, the family he has provided, the church he has provided, the pastor he's provided. Uh, I want you to think about something worth cheering for. Right? Ready? And we're going to... If you want to leap, you can. If you want to walk, you can. But at the very least, we're just going to cheer like we've never cheered on a Sunday morning inside of a church. Ready, begin, go. Boy, he went walking and leaping and praising God. We have our our foster daughter, and she's uh, 10 and a half months old. And every once in a while, she's getting to this place now where she can get on her knees and start crawling up on things. I was reading this passage this week just thinking about ankles and feet. And I I just saw her yesterday and getting into places she should not be getting into. And I thought, how would I respond if there was strength immediately to her ankles and her legs? And immediately for the first time, we could see her just walking and leaping. This is the kind of joy this man felt at 40 years old. Here's the reaction. All the people saw him walking. No kidding. All the people saw him walking and praising God. Verse 10, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. They were filled with wonder and amazing. The scene was wonderful. It was amazing. The scene continues, though, in verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded. I like that Luke is writing this. you got to picture Luke, and he's trying to think of all the different words, and these are the words we've translated from into the English language, but he says wonder, amazement, utter astoundment. 
So they're utterly astounded. They ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. I like that he clung to Peter and John. All the people, they're utterly astounded. And they go to the portico. And the reason they go to the portico, again, picture 60 feet wide, 27 feet high stone structure. It was the largest covered area in the temple. And the reason they went there is so that there would be a space for them to gather. And Peter's response was not to let the amazing and wonderful sit on its own. The reason the lame man was healed was not to highlight signs and wonders. The signs and wonders were a vehicle to point people to Jesus. Look at verse 12. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. He addressed the people. Now, when we consider this sermon versus Peter's sermon in uh, chapter 2, almost identical. Peter hasn't been preaching sermons very long, so he's just going back to the well, man. He's just going back to the well. Like it worked last time, 3,000 people got saved. There's not much that needs to be changed. We got the same audience, the same place, the same theme, the same posture, the same Old Testament references. And he starts this way. He says, men of Israel. Now this is a literary clue. What this is is indicating to the people what's coming next. For instance, if I said once upon a time, what would come next? It would be a what? It would be a fairy tale. If I said, uh, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today, that's a wedding. Uh, if I said, marriage is what wings us here together, we're watching Princess Bride, right? You know what's coming, right? So this is a literary clue, men of Israel. He's announcing to them, this is an important national address. This is the words that would indicate them that it was a speech of national importance. And then he begins his message. Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? Or though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. In other words, this is not about us. What you have seen is not about what John and I are capable of doing And then he preaches, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Peter walks them through how they delivered uh, Jesus to Pilate. This was a big deal. Um, The Jews were not loved by Pilate. Pilate was anti-Semitic. He put... Uh, images of Tiberius in the temple against their wishes. Um, he made many, many um, decisions directly against the interest of the Jewish culture. This is who Jesus was delivered to. In verse 14, but you denied the holy righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Peter says you denied him. You chose Barabbas over Jesus. Verse 15, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So Jesus is the one who brings life. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Peter says we were there. I was there on the night before. Uh, We were there standing afar watching him die. Uh, We saw him. We've seen him face to face. Verse 16, in his name by faith is... I'm sorry, let me read that again. Verse 16. In his name... By faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. 
So this same Jesus has healed this same man. That resurrecting power has now healed this man. Verse 17, now brothers and sisters, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So how do we make this right? He goes and he says this, repent therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repent. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We're going to see this word over and over again in, in Peter's sermons. Repent is this way of you have gone this way long ago, long, long enough. It is time to stop and turn around. Turn back. And I love this phrase that your sins may be blotted out. We don't use this kind of terminology, but that word, uh, that phrase blotted out, it's an accounting term. What is being described here is this. There was a deficit there was a debt, but it exists no more. It's been paid for. The deficit, the debt has been taken care of. It is no longer charged to your account. For a long time, this debt was charged to you, and you needed to pay it, but now it has been blotted out. It no longer stands against your charge. It has been paid for because Jesus paid for it. Verse 20, he continues now, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter says it's time to repent, turn, uh, turn to God so he can wipe away the sin, and that he may be able to pour out these showers of blessing to refresh you. Send you the Messiah he's prepared for you. His name is Jesus. And for the time being, he must remain out of sight in heaven until everything is restored again. And so he's walking in them too, why he was alive, why he died, why he rose again, but why he's no longer there. And then he goes on and he calls to remembrance some characters of the Old Testament that they would have understood. He says this, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brother's. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. It shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offering shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So he describes Moses, and he says, Moses would have said, your God will raise up for you a prophet just like me from your family. And so you need to listen to every word from that. Every last living soul who refuses to listen to that prophet will be wiped out from the people. They had heard about the Messiah. The Messiah was talked about. The Messiah was coming. And yet 50 days ago or so at the, at the Passover when they had the opportunity to have Jesus released, they chose Barabbas instead. And in that moment, they didn't know. Peter says you're, you were ignorant. This is not a, when we tell someone they're ignorant, we mean to insult them probably. Right? Peter's not insulting the audience. He's, he's, he's honestly giving them a word of compassion saying, you're ignorant in that moment. You didn't know what you know now. 
And what you didn't know then was this. This was the Messiah. This was the Messiah that was promised. This was the Messiah we had been waiting for. And you didn't know it in the moment, so you chose this other murderer instead of him. And in doing so, you fulfilled what Moses said would happen. You fulfilled what Samuel said what would happen. You fulfilled everything that the prophets said would happen. Congratulations, church. We made it through Acts chapter 3. Some observations from Acts 3. Number one, praying together was a priority. I don't think we should let it be lost that the chapter 3 opens with Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer. I think it's such a beautiful relationship. We don't get a lot of uh, examples of what friendship looks like in the New Testament, perhaps, because the focus is on Jesus and what he's done to restore us, right? But we know that Peter and John were fishermen together. We know that they were fishermen even before Jesus called them. We know that Jesus called them together. They followed together. We know that they were part of the original uh, 12 that, that followed Jesus and no doubt were close in that three-year process. They went through all these experiences together, the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, seeing people being healed, they, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, no doubt a, a difficult time together. Um, and then, you know, the day after the death, no doubt they spent that time together. Um, and then the resurrection happens, and now they're following Jesus for these 40 days, and they come to him and say, boy, is this the time that the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus says, no, not quite what you're thinking, but you're going to get this power. And so it's very... Uh, it's very beautiful to me that Peter and John went through this journey together. And now here in Acts chapter 3, they continue to worship together. They went to the temple at the hour of prayer together. Uh, as far as I know, as far as I was able to research and study, the hour of prayer was immediately after the hour of sacrifice. I think it's interesting that they went at the hour of prayer Maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it, and I will admit that, but I think it's interesting that they didn't participate in the hour of sacrifice, knowing that Jesus had already paid for our sin. But they went there as a priority during the hour of prayer, recognizing this was an opportunity to still honor their faith and praying together. I want to encourage you to pray with someone. And maybe that's your spouse, and maybe that's your kids, maybe it's a friend. Um, pull out your prayer guide, would you? I want to talk to you about this for just a moment. We put this um, on Monday and Tuesday. I was, I was thinking through how we would focus on prayer this year uh, as we come to Easter. And um, I saw a couple of ways that we might pray, and then um, there's nothing magical about 21 days. That's literally just three weeks till Easter, and so I thought this might be an appropriate way for us to do this. I want to encourage you to just use this for the next three weeks and maybe even afterwards. So starting tomorrow, there's a section in here that simply says uh, the date so you can stay on track, and then there's scripture for you to read and a prayer focus. So tomorrow on March 28th, uh, it has Isaiah 53. As we look forward to Easter, we center our hearts on Isaiah 53, the prophecy of Jesus being crucified. And the prayer focus tomorrow is this. 
Today we thank Jesus for the way he suffered and died on the cross for us. Real simple, one prayer focus for you. And then the next day you have another prayer focus and there's some quotes to encourage you along the way. Uh, I want to encourage you tomorrow to prioritize praying through this guide, but also praying with someone. If you're married, then, then maybe there's a time in the morning or in the evening or your evening meal where you can just say, let's just pray through this guide together. Oh, that our church would become this church of prayer. And so we want to encourage you. And if you're watching online and would like to receive a prayer guide, you can just call the church office, stop by. Um, they're also, every day of the prayer guide is available at our website. And you can just click on 21-day prayer guide and just scroll to the day. And so you can use it mobily. Mobily? On your mobile device. Thank you. Um, I want you to encourage you to pray for the next three weeks. This is an unusual time in our community where people are sensitive to Jesus. They just are. People are sensitive to Jesus around Easter, and so it's a beautiful time for us to just uh, be aware of that and recognize the opportunities that are in front of us. Um, on Good Friday, so this is April 15th, Good Friday, we're going to have a day of prayer and what we're going to do is we're going to have 24 hours of prayer, and you can sign up for a half-hour slot. So if you are a night owl, then by all means, have at it. Uh, if you're an early morning person, so we're going from 12 a.m. on Friday through the day through 11.59 on Good Friday. Sign-up sheet is in the lobby. Just reserve a half-hour slot. And what we're asking you to do is pray for that half hour. And there are 28 readings in here. What you can do on the day of prayer is just go back to the ones that you, maybe you highlighted or maybe you made some notes. And if all you did was to read through this guide, it would take you about 30 minutes uh, to do so. And so um, if you read it through prayerfully. And so that is your opportunity to sign up for that. So if you, uh, how many of you like to stay up past 10 o'clock? My goodness. Past 11 o'clock. Let's just, it's a time for confession. Past 11.30. My goodness, you guys. How many of you are up at 4.30 in the morning? I'm a little worried that some of the same hands were up. So that, that confuses me and worries me. Uh, sign up for one of those slots. They're in the lobby. Next week, I think we'll pass the clipboard around so everyone can get a chance to do that. And then on Good Friday from 10 to 2, those of you who have a lunch break, those of you who would like to, those of you watching online and, and maybe you're not ready for a big crowd but you want to take communion during Easter, this would be your opportunity. From 10 to 2, our sanctuary will be open on that day. Uh, we'll have music playing. The guides will be available and there will be communion for you to take as well. Um, Peter and John, they, they went to the temple to pray together at the hour of prayer. What would it look like if our church just became this unusual place of prayer? Observation number one, praying together was a priority. Number two, people desire to be seen, heard, and valued. People desire to be seen, heard, and valued. Oh, that our church would be this type of place. I fear that I am so guilty of ignoring people that are often right in front of me for the sake of... Um, my to-do list or the sake of what is on my agenda or uh, what is on my thoughts. 
And what would happen if we just saw and heard and gave value to people as we see them? I just love this story so much because who, knew, who knows how many different people passed the lame man that were also there at the day of Pentecost? How many different people were there who were maybe speaking in tongues and, and heard the message from Peter and, and all these things, and as they walked by, they had the opportunity, and something stirred in Peter's heart. The Holy Spirit filled him, and he directed his gaze. I just want you to think about who will you direct your gaze to this week? Who will you purposely, with intent, look upon with value so they can be seen and heard? Uh, observation number three, the gospel is for everyone. You'll see this as a theme throughout the book of Acts, and it's another good reminder for us today. The gospel is for everyone. Here's this, um, here's this man who, by all accounts, according to custom and according to this narrative, likely never had the opportunity to enter the temple, never had the opportunity to worship, never had the opportunity to offer a sacrifice, never had the opportunity to do so with his family. He was relegated to being on the outside. And, and, and thank God we don't do that today. Thank God that the doors are not locked, that people can come in and worship. But how many in our community perhaps feel like they are relegated to the outside. Observation number next, the church family and the church gathering should be welcome to everyone. So you say the church family and the church gathering. Well, the church family is you and I, right? We are the church, and this is the gathering on Sundays, and it should be welcome to everyone. No one is excluded. No one sits on the outside waiting to get in. And lastly, this morning, the church family and the church gathering should be a place of healing and celebration. The physical healing we see in the book of Acts is jaw-dropping, and yet it is nothing compared to what God was healing on the inside. And boy, there are hurts and wounds and scars and disappointments that God is waiting to heal if you'll come to him. And if you're watching online or you're sitting here today and coming back to church is a new thing or, or just being in church is different, it's unusual, I just want to encourage you with this. There is a place of healing here for you today. And it has nothing to do with us, but it's the one who gives us life. I love that Peter, when, when everyone was astonished and full of wonder and amazement, he says, why are you looking so peculiarly? Why is this strange to you? By it, our own power or our own righteousness, we've healed this man? It wasn't. It was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. It was Jesus who had been resurrected, and it's the same resurrecting power that now lives and breathes in us. And what Peter says is this. You think this healing is amazing? You haven't seen anything yet. Because the healing that happens in our lives and the restoration of relationships and our restoration with Christ and being able to have this relationship with him where Hebrews says we're able to come now boldly before the throne of grace. I look at that term differently now and I think of boldly and I think of this lame man leaping and walking and praising God coming to the throne of Jesus like he's never been able to before. There are hurts, wounds, and disappointments that I can't pretend to understand. 
There have been times in your life where you have been the outcast. You have been the one on the outside waiting to come in. You have been that one who had to prove its worth and had to prove itself in order to be included. And this morning I'm here to tell you, boy, the gospel is for everyone and everyone is included. Let's take a moment and let's pray as we reflect and respond to however God is leading in your heart. Father, thank you for, thank you for um, how you preserved Scripture so that we can have a small window in what it was like for the early church to be born. I thank you for Peter's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit where as he walked by this gentleman, and who knows, Peter and John had been to that temple before. They had walked by the gate beautiful before. They had entered those courts before. And how many times perhaps did they not see this man as clearly as they did on this day? Father, I pray for Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. I pray for myself that no one would be ignored, neglected, or taken for granted in the kingdom. I pray, Father, as, as we go into our community and as the community comes to us in the next few weeks, that we would not just look past people. Peter directed his gaze. Father, would you help us to have the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to be able to direct our eye contact to someone who needs to be seen, heard, valued, someone who needs a human touch so that they can be brought to the cross of Jesus. Father, would you uh, give us that kind of courage and that kind of boldness? Father, as we um, consider Peter and John, I pray, uh, I, I pray that we would become people of prayer. I pray that maybe this tool will help us. Maybe this season of time will help us as we just look forward to what you will do in people's hearts. May we be a part by praying together. Would you give us the reminders and the um, discipline to just not rush through our days, but to pause and to consider every moment in prayer. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.